0: OG Willikers here. Back in New Mexico, back in the rah-rah room, back to talking to musicians about their craft. For episode 16, we're hanging out with the arts and culture editor of the Santa Fe Reporter, Alex Alex DeVore. I've known him since I started making music back in high school. He was one of the head promoters in the promoter circle. He had one of the most popular bands, Don't Shoot Noah. And now he's the guy that writes about your music, if you're lucky or if you're not lucky.
1: What's up, Alex? How you doing, man? I, I'm I'm really well. I'm super impressed by the beautiful space that you've got going out here. It's very nice. Thanks, man. Yeah. New Mexico countryside. It is, and this room is like it's cool. I feel like cool. I feel like like you know when you would see like sitcoms when you were a kid, and the kids had like really cool spaces, and you were like, man, my room sucks. Like this is like cool. <laughs> it's cool in here. I have the ultimate clubhouse. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Like well, if I, people used to call it a shack, they used to say,
0: I'd, I'd be like, it's the studio, man. But People always be like, oh, I'm in my friend's shack. That's. I have
1: a very similar story to that, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I, do I, should, should I just say it? Yeah. Because, you know, like we were in stupid bands. Like we know each other because we were both in stupid bands a million years ago. And we also had what we called a studio, but everyone else was like, that's like some rundown old shack. And I loved it. It was great. But, yeah, people people made fun of us.
0: It's taken me many years to get this place. Elevated to studio status.
1: It's way nicer. Ours was very drafty and like wintertime practice was a horrible nightmare. And but this is cool. Yeah, this place is nice. I could use a little more light. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's a little
0: cave like. <laughs> I'd read comic books in here though. I read a lot of comic books. I,
1: that's, <laughs> I was like, are those comics or are those records? That's um, the
0: question. Either way, cool. Yeah, you know, it depends on who's in here. I go, yeah, records, bro.
1: <laughs> yeah, just to impress like. However, it happens to be.
0: Yeah. No, but comics, that's, that's, it. everyone knows me in my comics. That's,
1: that's no secret. Are you one of these people who, like, you're excited about all the superhero movies or are you, like, bummed out that there's so many new? A little bit of both.
0: It's mm. a roller coaster. Maybe. Like, some movie, you know, like, uh, I was excited about Batman versus Superman and, and then it,
1: horribly disappointed.
0: Yeah. And that, <laughs> I think that might have actually been the, the thing that killed it. Really? Yeah. Like, pretty bad.
1: I mean, are we at a point, like, spoiler. Like, their mom has the same name. Like, that's, like, what unites them. Give me a break.
0: That's the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, it's like uh, uh, back in the day, like, jumping the shark was the term.
1: Because of the fawns Yeah,
0: it's like yeah. that means a show did something so terrible, like. They just killed it. So that's, like, the new one. It's like, oh, that's, like. They just Martha, or they, oh, they Martha'd. Martha. Like that's a Martha moment. I don't know, something like that. Like sure. that's just. And then also, I'm sick of origin stories.
1: Yeah, if I have to hear how Spider-Man like fucking became Spider-Man again, I'm gonna freak out. Spider-Man, Batman, anyone anymore? Actually, I don't even
0: care about anyone's origin anymore. Yeah, Batman's hundred years old. Like, if you don't know how he's around, that's on you. Kind of at a certain point. I agree. Completely. Fuck. Once again, I'm slightly uh, excited about the new Spider-Man, except for oh, I've yeah. already seen Spider-Man movies. Several Reboot times. It, you know, it would have been cool if they hadn't rebooted it right. last time. Yeah. Oh, the the Andrew Garfield. Which I thought it was kind of cool, but it was, I don't know. I don't like movies anymore.
1: <laughs> I um, know. TV's where it's at. Doctor Strange is cool. I uh, liked that. I, I was feeling that. By the time I was like, okay, I can go see this, everyone I knew was like, we already saw it, and it was amazing, and we're not going again, and I didn't want to go alone.
0: I have friends who who complain about uh, dialogue or, you know, certain, con- I'm like, it's a comic book originally, so it's kind of, you know, like, don't get too involved in the logic. Yeah, like, go to an art house theater, bro. Yeah, it's more about the creative, like, ability to just do whatever. hmm And, like, not get hung up by details too much. I mean, yeah, it gets annoying sometimes, but, like, I didn't go see Doctor Strange for the uh Yeah, you had, like, this
1: would be the Citizen Kane of, you know, absurd comic book Supernatural, whatever Yeah, it was
0: more just a really cool visual thing Totally It was really fun And I'm so, with you I don't know how
1: hard. I got us on the comic books I'm sorry
0: No, I don't know I can talk about it forever Good No, anyway, that's, that's
1: good, that's good This
0: is a music podcast Right They're now uh, yo, so yeah, you're Alex DeVore.
1: That's what they call me.
0: You, I met you when I was a teenager. The first band I was ever in, Half the Battle, opened for you guys. Don't Shoot Noah.
1: That's it, probably that should have been opposite. That was we my were really first bad. show
0: ever. So, Do you have like fun memories
1: of it? It was a cool show.
0: Mm. I remember your drummer used our drummer's drum set that night.
1: Oh, was that when we had, like, that drummer, Zach, but we called him Isaac, and he had, like, the whole pompadour think thing? it was
0: Ryan. Was it Ryan? And he was standing. He was this drummer who would stand. And wow, play. that was
1: probably Ryan then, yeah. Ryan Mira. Yeah. That's days. funny. And that was Warehouse 21, the original. Yeah, Warehouse Original.
2: Lifesaver.
1: A... The legendary. Those were great days, man. They were really great days. And... You know, there's part of me that's like, I don't know, maybe I'm just aging and I think to myself, like, uh, kids are stupid or whatever, but those were, like, really golden days for me. I can't, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, I can't stress enough just what that place did for me and meant to me and what I think it could mean to people to this day was totally altered the entire course of my life, and I owe everything to where I was 21.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly why I'm in the rah-rah room doing a podcast. Totally. It's like I was a kid, didn't really have that much that I was into, pretty apathetic dude, went to a punk show when I was 12 or 13, maybe it was a metal show, it was like one down or something. Yeah. Yeah. Question the Answers, APH, <laughs> somebody. don't I love Question oh, the Answers. Right. QTA. That yeah. guy, the
1: singer for that band, do you remember him? Jason? Oh, yeah. Well, I can't remember his last name, uh, but he I had this either. laugh, you know, that was really, he had like a real, like a butthead laugh, just like. <laughs> no, nah, I remember that now. <laughs> so you'd try to make him laugh, and then you would laugh because his laugh was stupid? It was good. Those were epic days. That was what, 2000, 2001? The first time I ever went to RS-21, my family had just moved here, and I was like 12. And my mother was like, I'm sick of looking at you and signed me up for a silkscreen workshop. And I took it with Jason Crawford, who does the silkscreen workshops to this day. And he was like, you should just like come and come down here and come and hang around here. And then I never, ever left.
0: It was a home. And it, and it was so cool because it was like before the rail yard was developed, it was kind of this like weird middle ground where, where young teenagers could kind of hang out with uh, aging has well, and people, and even like the tracks were right there, and you—I don't know—it was just kind of a fringe society, totally, but a fringe youth society, and it—and it, and it was—it was a place to kind of figure out your shit without worrying about all this other crap around you. Like it's kind of like the clubhouse.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And there was—I mean, there's always going to be like you know clickish bullshit with kids, but at the same time, like generally speaking, pretty much everyone was pretty accepting of whatever anyone else wanted to do or try, and it wasn't like we were all holding hands and skipping into the sunset together, but a lot of stuff went down. I mean, like, a lot of people who are still, you know, playing musicians today or professional musicians today or doctors uh, that I have seen around town were, like, kids who came up through, like, the punk and the metal scenes of Warehouse 21. Um, and I figure, you know, you and I were just, like, a couple of dudes, you know, multiply that times, what, 500 people easy who are out there who... You know, yeah, it was like a counterculture, fringy kind of thing. But, uh, like I was saying, kind of when we were chatting uh, before the show, it was so cool to have this place where you could experiment and just outright fail, but that you had people who knew professionally how to promote or be in bands or tour or whatever else. And they said, don't worry about it. Now you learn something and I'm going to help you out and it's going to be better next time. And then it was better next time. And for a group of like fifteen, sixteen year olds to be booking bands from Japan, uh like 6 or, you know, uh like ska bands who were huge at the time, like MU330 or Suburban Legends or uh, you know, the Velvet Teen uh came and played there when well, well before I was twenty one. Like that you know, at the time it was like this is just kind of what we do and we work it out. But in retrospect, that's pretty fucking incredible, pretty like the epic. work that
0: people were doing. And just kids, teenagers.
1: Right. Passing
0: like, out flyers.
1: Yeah. You went Footwork. to Kinko's. It used to be Kinko's had that, like, you remember it had like that key counter thing that you had to like plug into the copier and it had this like,
0: oh, yeah, it was yeah. like an
1: odometer that counted your copies. If you just like threw it at the ground really hard, it would like mess up all the numbers and you'd be like, I only made two flyers. And you see they had like 8,000 flyers and <laughs> yeah, you'd go to the nice, roller I ring. didn't know that one. Oh, yeah a good trick. Caven played at the roller rink. Piebald played at Warehouse 21. Uh, Rock and Rollers. Yeah, Rock and Rollers. Botch. Yeah. Oh, man. In Santa Fe. Yeah, that guy Tomas Rivera. You remember him from Battle's End? Uh Uh-huh. That guy booked so many good shows. And Nico Constantino, who was, like, in terrible ska bands and awesome punk bands and just, like, uh, you know, it didn't really... (laughs) I hadn't thought all of this out in kind of a while, but man, it was cool. And it's still cool. Just like it was a lot cooler when I was hanging out there. <laughs>
3: Oh,
0: wondered this a lot because as I got a little older, I would still sporadically book shows at Warehouse 21, but there, it just fell off. I'd play shows where nobody came besides the performers and maybe like the per- people we brought with us, but right. nobody. And I'm just <laughs> like, is it that Warehouse sucks now or is it that I'm too old for Warehouse now? You know, is was at that, that totally. moment. And it was, I wasn't saying Warehouse sucked, but I was just like, this isn't. Warehouse, and and it, it, it's because I was 22, 23, 24. Right. And I realized I'm not that kid anymore in high school with my pocket full of flyers, hustling people at lunch. Yeah. Like I, that network didn't exist for me anymore. And then I was in the drinking age, <laughs> and nobody wants to go to when I'm playing at bars, too. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to go to that show when I could, I'll just go see you, the Cowgirl next right, week totally. or whatever. So the, that's a weird, like, demographic change there that I experienced.
1: Definitely. You know, aging, obviously, and in your interest change or whatever. I think also, uh, to a certain degree, there was this kind of, like, feeling, I would say vibe if that term didn't totally bum me out, but there was, like, a feeling at the old warehouse that I think kind of got lost in translation with the newer building. I don't know if it was it's just the new building is massive or that it kind of has this, like it feels like a public high school almost, or that, you know, so many fundamental differences between generations kind of started to crop up during that kind of off time when they didn't have a building. Um, and Apathy... I think it's very real now on this level that maybe it wasn't when we were kids. I mean, you know, these kids now have, oh, I can't believe I said these kids now. Younger people now, I still consider myself young, but younger people now, like, like, remember when Netflix started streaming and it was the most mind-blowing thing and you were like, I can just watch a movie, like, I don't have to go anywhere and get it or I don't have to, like, download it entirely first. Like, whoa.
3: That was and crazy. And like that
1: and Facebook and video games are better than they've ever been, which I know because I play a lot of them. And, um... There are so many things competing for everybody's attention now, and it's kind of hard to, you know, put your shoes on and go and do a thing when you have five things in whatever room you're in in your home that are going to play you, like, why go to a show when I can just watch the YouTube of that show. Obviously, it's a little different on a local music level. I'm actually really thankful for my job. Forces me to go to a lot of things. I shouldn't say force. Like, I still like to go and see live music. Who doesn't? But um, I feel like if I didn't have to go for work, I might not go to as many things as oh, yeah. I do.
0: Well, another, uh, I think, symptom of the Santa Fe problem is that people don't aren't attracted to Santa Fe to party. It's just not the vibe of Santa Fe. Santa Fe is this quiet mountain town with pretty art. Right. It just screams chill. Yeah, we're like a... So lays about in the daytime kind of town. Yeah, so Saunter if we're like trying road. to be like this crazy scene too, there is that fight. There are these people doing this, but it's kind of like where we're at too. I'm not saying we shouldn't keep trying, but that's just kind of part of it. I think you're definitely right. You have to drive so far to go anywhere. It's not like New York; you just hop on a train,
1: whatever. Drink is whatever you want in Santa Fe. You gotta rely on cars and totally. And we're not supposed to Uber anymore because they're they're evil, is my understanding. But no, I mean, you know, you're not right. And there definitely, there's always been this separation between like there's downtown, and then there's like the lawless hellscape wasteland until you hit Siler Road, and then there's stuff to do again. But you know, or like the, the Brewing Company is a great example. They get have always gotten great shows. Or I guess they're called the Bridge now. Um, there's no bridge there yet, but my sources there <laughs> tell me that the bridge is going to be built very very soon. But I mean, God, you know, just in the last five years, I've seen Melvin's and L-1011 and Dr. Dog and Dan Hicks there, and every time I was glad I went, but before I did, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to drive the 12 minutes out there. I can't believe it. Um, I don't know if that is just, like, a Santa Fe problem that we have where, like, you could walk across the whole town in, like, two hours, but... You know, you have to drive any more than eight minutes. Unless there's, like, weed there or booze there, like, what really is the point?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's deeply ingrained in the culture here. It's kind of hard to reverse that one. Totally. We've been fighting it for years, you know. But then you get these crazy shows. In fact to backtrack about Warehouse twenty one, I performed there last Saturday mm. uh at this hip hop show, Cryptic Wisdom was the, the headlining act on tour. With a
1: Z, tell me with a Z. Wisdom. But sure. but it
0: was packed, man. Packed. There was we performed in front of probably sixty some people. That's awesome. Like weirdly packed Uh and even before they had been posting like artist passes and they were actually selling like tickets advanced pre-sale tickets for this show Whoa! and it was like a legit show and and i didn't book it uh but i was skeptical i'll be honest i was Uh like these guys are from out of town they're putting all this effort they probably saw warehouses pictures of the stage and assumed this was going to be a huge show yeah i was being kind of pessimistic like I don't want to be there when they uh, see the turnout, and then I got there; and it was packed. Wow! So I felt like the asshole, but <laughs> but I don't know what that trick was. I don't know, but they did a good job on that. So
1: what I will say is that in my experience, uh, you know, n- the, our old experience as teenagers, notwithstanding, where you know we were like making a shit ton of fires and really going out there, but usually what I will see in Santa Fe is people are like my existence alone should mean that everyone loves that I exist and what I do, and they will be there, and I have faith that they will be there, I'll announce it once on Facebook. And that usually goes across, like, the Americana and the rock and the country people, and then they have their, you know, built-in fans or whatever, but the hip-hop fucking people in this state, like, too zany in Albuquerque is a great example, just, like, a handful of dudes who have this fucking work ethic and have built this network, and they work their asses off. I don't know if it's because there's a lot of hip hop songs that are like, you know, about like work real hard and you'll make cash. Yeah, a lot of a lot of my uh, work is about
0: uh, ambition. Uh-huh. Ambition is a big thing behind rap, and it's competitive, so you've got to be ambitious. Sure, it's, it's kind of an interesting world. It's but cool. Yeah, so that does does develop, right? Good skills.
1: I have also seen in the state though where there's like quote. Record labels who tell kids, like young performers, hey, if you give us a hundred bucks, you can play for 15 minutes at our showcase. And then these kids who don't know any better give these assholes who have like a SoundCloud page a hundred bucks to play for 10 minutes at some quote showcase. And I've seen a bunch of kids get burned by that. Those people fucking suck. Like that's horrible. But these guys sound cool.
0: There's one dude we work with who does something like that, except he gives you you pay a 100 bucks to play but he gives you x amount of tickets you sell them for this price and Mm -hmm. you could stand a profit if you sell your tickets Mm -hmm. which i respect that as a promoter Mm -hmm. both of us have done plenty of that and i'm sure you've experienced this you'll book a band they want this much money or for whatever reason you end up in the negative Oh yeah, pr- it's on the promoter's ass. It's the the artists are being assholes to you because this 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 <laughs> and and this but in the end it's all on you. So being a promoter is a risky risky business. You got to like know what you're doing or or you know, have your boundaries set if you're going to do that. Oh, I'm and definitely. So I respect his approach. Like, okay, artists, you want to play, you give me the money, but here's your chance to go make your money yourself. Like, I'm not making you your money. Here's your opportunity to perform. Your tickets go turn this into money for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, it doesn't really always work, but uh, sure, it's the idea is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I have mixed feelings. There's the part of me that's like, okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense, and there's the part of me that's kind of like, so this dude is like tricking people into doing all the work for him, kind of in a sense, and like what these kids who don't. Know what they're doing, like they sell the tickets or they take the loss, like the artist takes the loss.
0: Well, it's just kind of like you gotta prove you're serious to be part of these shows. Mm -hmm. You know?
1: Maybe I'm just like getting old at this point, but I firmly believe in if you wanna be a promoter and you promise like money to whoever, like you gotta make it happen. If I like if I and obviously, like I'm not a particularly known or even good musician. But if I like somebody's like, "Hey, do you want to play a show? Pay me money," I would say, "No, I do not want to play that show." Yeah, the pay to play—it's—it's it's controversial. Mm-hmm. I've done it a
0: couple times. I'm not keen to really do it more. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the shows I did—it was a mic mic competition. So there was at, like a prize of some kind. Yeah, it was a thousand dollar prize. Whoa! And uh, it was money like, bags. Yeah, it was at the launch pad, mm. and uh, I didn't win. Oh, but my friend, I went with one Wolfman Jack. He won a thousand dollars. Oh, right on! So that was dope. Did you guys? What'd you do with it? I think he paid his rent. Oh, that's cool. Rappers are broke, man. God, tell me about it. <laughs> they talk about money a lot, right? But that's that's not any of the rappers I know. They're secreting,
1: <laughs> secreting.
0: I don't know. Okay. And then for me, the argument is, like, okay, do I want to charge cover and make money, or do I want heads in here to watch me play?
1: Yeah, it's light versus dark, the classic battle. And that's true. How's your merch game? Totally. (laughs) You know? Seriously, that's one thing that I think a lot of bands, well, up and coming, like, maybe musicians who are kids should know, is, like, yeah, have some fucking merch. Like, that's where you're going to make your money. (laughs) It's interesting to me, I mean, this is maybe a little semi-unrelated, but it's interesting to me this concept of, like, what making it in music is at this point. It's not really, like, the way that I think a lot of people regard it is this system in this industry that no longer exists in that, like, you get signed and then you're famous and then you make all this money. You know, the internet putting so much... Uh power in the hands of the musicians themselves is like great, but it's not like you really have a lot of these like huge bands doing it the way they used to anymore.
0: I mean, what's making it like Beatlemania?
1: Right, like or Radiohead like scalp tickets are like ten thousand dollars, which I know because I looked into it because I really wanted to see them. But wow, That's right. A lot.
0: This question's actually been posed a few times on this show, and that's that's one thing I love about this show is, yeah, we're having these conversations, but there's a greater conversation mm-hmm. that every guest adds, and I love that. And then so, it's kind of cool you said that, because a bunch of episodes back, we were talking about uh, Dysphotic. Sure. You know, uh, Augustine and Zach and Durfee's band. Santa Fe Brewing Company named a beer after I them, the that, Dysphotic yeah. Stout. So, I was like, hey, you guys made it. That's awesome. You guys made it, you know, because what is making it? What is... Yeah, what is it? I mean, okay, maybe being able to quit your job and afford to be paid to do it. Maybe. Sure. But then there's session musicians who are like, fuck, I just want to make. So, where's the fame? You want the fame. So, that's when you ask yourself, like what, what are you doing for it for? Totally. What are you doing it for? And everyone does it for a different reason. It's an important question musicians should really ask themselves.
1: All of the, like, uh, you know, musicians I know who it's their only job is music. Generally speaking, they're usually DJs or, like you said, a session musician, and they play a lot of weddings and bar mitzvahs and corners of bars and things like that. It's not, you know, like these stadium tours that I think people think of. That's, like, how many people do that? Like 20 acts maybe, like, in the world anymore have that kind of power? Like, for me, when I did it, which, you know, it's been, like, a really long time since I, like, seriously did anything musically myself, but I was just happy when... There was like, you know, 30 people in the room and they looked like they were into it. And it was like, like you were talking about before the show, like when you were like, okay, the acoustic thing, like, I'm not really liking this so much anymore. Let me try hip hop out. And you said like, you kind of recaptured that energy of your old like pop punk days. That's everything to me. I mean, there, maybe when I was younger, I thought like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll tour and we'll blah, blah, blah. And then the more we booked shows at Warehouse and met all these bands who were like, we haven't showered in five days and like, oh my God, we can sleep on your floor? Like we, that's incredible. That's all we could ever ask for. There was like this kind of romantic allure to that but then there was also this like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not like I'll be staying in hotels and eating caviar and blah, blah, blah. And if I had wanted to, I probably shouldn't have gotten into punk rock at all. Well, it's a, it's a passion.
0: It's, it's something you, you don't do it for an end game. You do it just to do it. Like last night we played in Albuquerque and it was a big group set. There were six of us performing and we switched to this cool shuffle thing. And it was really fun. But part of me, was, like after it was over, I was like, oh, man, that was a lot of work. Like, I just want to go back to the studio and make some music. Totally. And, and then, And then I'm like, to other people, it's like the show is the great glory. That's the thing. And then for me, I'm like, well, that's just something you got to go do. And go get people to hear about the music you're making at home i mean not it's just a perspective i have sometimes like all i want to do is play shows sure but you know sometimes it's just nice to just
1: be in the creative space and just it's so fun to record to make music and to work and work and work on like a track and like when new stuff comes up you know like when you're like putting a song down and you're recording it and then you have like an idea right in there and then you're like oh stop everything we gotta like try to put this in that's just it's fun it's just awesome and feels good um but that's kind of an interesting point too uh as far as people's perception of musicians like the show that's 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 the product which is really not true but uh it's just it's not it doesn't seem really sustainable to me to try to make your living off of playing shows like for anybody
0: yeah i mean for a period you know i was in my 20s i was Awesome. Wanting to be on tour, I wanted to be the rock star, yeah. You know, I, earlier in my 20s, and now I'm at a point where that's not my goal at all, right? Like, I, yeah, I would like music, I would like to make money doing it, I wouldn't mind some recognition doing so, uh, but I don't need like fame or a lot of money, right? <laughs> just like enough to live, live well. my life, and yeah. you know, just. I guess that's that's the answer for me
1: at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I just want to do what I do and do it well. I mean, looking back, I can say I have more memories of having an awesome time playing music with people I knew and loved and liked and cared about and hung around with than I can even begin to count, and that kind of makes it all worth it for me in the end. You already made it then, you know. Then right. that's And, like, lifelong friendships. Like, my buddy Jasper, who played bass in our terrible, terrible band, I didn't really know him before he kind of came and joined the band. We had a mutual friend who was like, Jasper's a trumpet player. You should, you know, make ska with him. And I was like, oh, well, I'm 15, and therefore I love ska. And it turned out he actually was, like, kind of a bass player. And... We played with these other dudes, but he and I, like, really just had this connection and just kept doing it musically. And I, you know, I went to a movie with him the other day. Like, that's huge. I made so many friends. I know you, because of music, existed. And it's not that we're, like, going to movies all the time, but, like, man, if I run into you, I'm like, oh, this guy. Like, this is awesome. This guy was doing it, and we can both, like, high-five, having had similar experiences. It's cool. And I worry... That kids, not kids, I worry that people maybe have different experiences, especially in Santa Fe, where there does seem to be a, like, I'm a musician from Santa Fe, and such and such bar owes me a living, such and such publication owes me a living, by the virtue of my very existence, the Santa Fe reporter needs to say that I'm wonderful, and if not, then they want the town to fail, and they hate me, and they hate music, and... Blah, fucking blah. Like, if you want to have a stable career, probably like music is not really should be at the top of your list. Uh, to me, getting in the face of a newspaper or a culture or music journalist saying like, "Well, you know, it's your responsibility to you know advance our career or to let people know the positive only things about us." is absurd like would you move to LA wanting to be an actor and then say dear variety like you didn't tell everyone that I'm in this town acting and that's bullshit and it's your fault I'm not a fucking movie star like maybe we didn't write about you and maybe you didn't get a show because you're fucking terrible maybe rumors that you heard that people liked your music were false you know it's a small town it's close knit and there's a lot of fucking people around here who would much rather say oh oh yeah your cover of Wagon Wheel is fucking amazing than they would say well geez Fucking Christ, dude. Like quit. You're terrible. You're so boring. Do you wonder why you play monthly? Like in the corner of a brewer minimalist brewery in the rail yard? And I love that place. I truly do. I think it's cool. But like that's not anything to me. How did I get here? From what were we talking about? Anyway, music's cool.
0: I used to love Don't Shoot Noah, man. That was a great a great inspiration as a kid to be, especially I was like a pop punk kid. So, you know, I mean, you guys weren't really pop punk, but you guys had elements that I really liked. Yeah, I don't know. We considered it pop punk for sure. But there was more, it, it went deeper, which was cool because I was still kind of the standard like bubblegum pop punk kind of uh when I was learning back then. Right. And then so seeing what you guys were doing, you had a little
1: more edge to it. Well, that's what we did. But then Battle's End came out and we were like, fuck, let's just like rip these guys off. <laughs> I mean, I it, wasn't, it wasn't as sinister too. as that, but we were like, holy
0: fuck. Like, what well, are we doing? Mosquito to Moscow. That was another band that I liked that kind of took the pop punk edge and then took yeah. it somewhere else. That was after you guys a little bit, though. I Definitely. think that was after you guys had kind of unfolded.
1: Yeah, we didn't we were definitely gone by then. That was uh Ishmael Martinez. Uh that was his band with his cousin and then uh I can't remember who the drummer was. But yeah, they were definitely like it was kinda like pop punk, but maybe a little more like emo-y yeah, well, then, the, what, that wasn't the
0: dude from Mistletoe in that band? No. No. Oh, that's the Cherry Tempo. That's Cherry Tempo. That was Jasper.
1: That was Jasper and Hav Romero. That's
0: right. Sorry, guys, um, I'm mixing it
1: all up. It's been years, though. No, that's cool. It just doesn't, doesn't bother me. What's, the bass player and the keyboardist <laughs> from Cherry Tempo are now in Minus the Bear, of course. Or not Cherry Tempo, uh, Mistletoe.
0: So, oh, like, yeah,
1: yeah. If Hav's in a band with somebody, like generally like one or two of them winds up like doing pretty okay musically. Good taste. He's a great songwriter, though, Javier huh, Romero? I'd love to hear some of his work Oh, nowadays. He has this thing called Strange Magic that he's doing now that is, like, so fucking good. It's kind of mistletoe like, poppy, beatles something about it? I, something made, I think we reviewed it in the last music issue. Okay, yeah, I think that's where I saw it. Cool. The town I'll doesn't produce it. enough albums for us to regularly do album reviews. Like, at the that's best, hard. we could do, like, maybe one a month, so we just not do them all at, like, one time of the year.
0: Well, cool, man. So you uh, you you moved on from Don't
1: You Noah, moved yes, away. Yes, I went through a terrible breakup, and I moved to Northern California, because I was like,
2: I will feel feelings if I go away.
1: And I felt so much worse, and I drank so much. But then I wound up in Santa Cruz, which is, like, a really cool town, only I had, like, no fr- I I, w- I worked in a record store, Streetlight Records. They're kind of this, like, independent-ish record store. They have a couple locations in the Bay, but I basically, like, I'm 22, 23, and think that I'm a genius because I'm working in, like, an indie record store. So I didn't really have any friends outside of, like, the people I worked with, and I don't mind hanging out with people I work with other than you kind of get to these points where if you're, like, at a party or you go out to hang out, you just talk about work. And uh, I was spending a lot of time by myself, and I still wanted to do music stuff, um, but I was kind of, like, not feeling... Like, the breakup was so fresh, like, I didn't really want to write songs about it. Like, I was, I couldn't even think about it. So I just kind of, like, ditched words all together. And uh, the reason I think this was, like, such a formative and important couple of years for me was in the record store, you had, like, the metal guy and the country slash folk woman and the classical music guy and the punk rock dude and they all loved each other and respected each other very very much and if you were the kind of person who went into this job like i like what i like and that's it then they were like fuck off dude but if you went into it like okay like i love cave in and i love botch but what else you got and you let these people like show you what they were listening to you could find any kind of music has something great in it except for reggae and there was just so much stuff that I had never occurred to me existed like you know minimalist Philip Glassy kind of quote classical stuff or uh you know i got really into this woman odetta the she's like this uh folk singer just incredible and um metalcore had kind of gone had become a thing you know like when it was caven and botch when we were like teenagers there was no it was like emo guys who were like well we can judge, jud-, 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 jud too and then they kind of called it metalcore you know and then suddenly you had all these bands like blessed be this nightmare and it was like this melodramatic like fucking it sucked but there was still some cool stuff um, but I got like I, it, because of this I kind of was like throwing all these crazy influences that I had in my head all kind of competing with each other and I just started like uh, music, as far as what I was creating just kind of like musically I'd start from a place where I was like fucking around and I would just layer tracks on top of each other and kind of try to f- like if I had uh, something in my room, like a chair that made, like, a certain kind of noise. I tried would try to incorporate it. Um, so it was oh. the kind of thing that was, like, really fun for me to make and record, and I never really put too much pressure on myself to, like, write things, um, more to see what came out of it. I'm sure it's probably tedious for some people to listen to it, but I had a really fun time recording it. Um, and I went through a couple I, – I called it Oblio at first, which was kind of, like, my allusion to – Harry Nilsson, who is just such an incredible uh, singer-songwriter, but then some band from somewhere, like, found this on MySpace and was like, well, that's what we're called, and we're going to sue you. And I was like, I'm 23 years old. Like, I have six MySpace friends. Like, I don't think you have to worry about it. But they were very worried about it. So I changed it to Gibbon Arm, which is actually something we used to call my friend Benji because he has very long arms, (laughs) as if they were the arms of a gibbon. Um, and all the songs are kind of like named after Final Fantasy things because I was playing Final Fantasy 12 at the time many influences there If I could say one thing it's that we didn't know there was a photo of Elliot Smith wearing an iHeart Metal shirt when we named iHeart Metal iHeart Metal. We were just a couple sad dudes stoned in a park and that's the whole story.
2: One of them's-
0: That's your band that you had after you came back from
1: California. Well, iHeart Metal was around kind of before that. But it's what I do now. If I do anything, it's that's it. Yeah, I mean I do love metal, but like the joke was that like we were gonna write these over the top Why don't girls like us songs and have this name that like didn't have like anything to do with that. Which is like so I get the Elliott Smith people are like, Oh, you must love him and I'm like, he's great. But that's not why. Um <laughs> but it kinda started as that like, oh girls don't like us and we you know, there were definitely some songs like that. But now it's just kinda like anything that I do acoustically or like any the feelings I have, I'll like make a song out of it and um you it's know evolved. I'm an emotional guy.
0: Well, it's been around for what, twelve years, thirteen years. God, I was like seventeen, I don't know. so
1: like almost twenty years. Oh dang. Good lord. Cool, bro. All right, so that was That that took a long time, that song, to put together. It kind of like... I'd moved to L.A. to... For, like... Basically to be with a woman who I shouldn't have wanted to be with. And... I was, we, we kind of, like, were having trouble, and you know when, like, you know that it's coming, that someone's going to be like, look, we, like, this is not good, we should not be doing this, and I was kind of, like, in L.A., and I didn't have any money, and I was, like, trying to get it together to get out of there before, like, the other shoe dropped, and, um... So the song is called I Moved to Los Angeles and all I got was this lousy heartache, which is it's like pretty true. Like I couldn't get work anywhere. I was doing terrible freelance writing jobs where they were like, thanks for that 10,000 word game review. Here is your $7. And also we took taxes out. So I was just poor and I couldn't write words about it because, you know, she was there in the fucking house looking at me with her fucking eyes. And... Uh, it was kind of like an experiment in like movements, like different kind of movements. From like this is gonna be great to oh this is not going so great too, and then I finally escaped. But uh, I think if it's the live version, which is the one I I, I think you pulled, uh, that actually was recorded at Warehouse Twenty One, where I was playing at a metal show, because metal guys are into it for some reason. <laughs> Awesome. So anyway, but thank you for having me. This was, like, great. I feel really like a, like it was, like, a cathartic experience to be able to say this stuff. And
0: It's good just to talk. I, you know, there's people I've known for years that I've always thought I've known, but then I sit, when you sit down and talk to someone, you realize, at least I do, maybe you in your line of work is different, but before I started doing this, I realized how little I actually just sat down and talked to people.
1: I'm totally with you.
0: It's like there's always something else going on. Or I hang out with people... In the act of doing something Mm -hmm. But to
1: just sit to talk That's that's a lost art It is it's huge I find with my job Like I've become way better just having Conversations with everybody Which I'd love like I can talk to anybody now Whereas before I was maybe a little like You know I'm not an idiot I know that People are like that guy's an asshole or like He's standoffish or whatever but I Am just like kind of like a shy dude with crippling Self-doubt and social anxiety I never meant to hurt anyone and You know, being a writer and having to interview people every day of my life has kind of, like, cut into that. But it's good to see you, too, because I feel like we can give each other, like, sideways glances. Like, And then also in the old days when that thing that other people weren't there for, like, that was really fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's good, man. Well, cool.
0: Well, uh, is there anything else you want to say to the people?
1: Last oh, chance. Yeah, I would say definitely visit sfreporter com. We got a lot of stuff coming up. I'm, you know, we're definitely here for you. But if your band is terrible, I'm gonna fucking let you know. And it's mostly because I failed as a musician, and now I want to hurt you all. That's a joke. Um, sfreporter dot That's ba- that's basically the number one thing. And oh, and also the reporter is everywhere for free in Santa Fe. If you want to pick it up, you should.